Welcome to the Assembly of Yahweh Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you're here. For more information, you can visit hallelujah.org or download the AOI app on Apple or Google Play. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. It is good to be in the house of Yahweh. Amen? Well, I am blessed, honored, humbled to be here. And uh, when I told my family that I would be speaking this morning, my son says to me, Dad, don't be the guy who goes over the time limit. All right. (laughs) So with that being said, let's get right into it. Today, I want to share a little bit with you about worship and what that is. And normally when I speak in our home fellowships, there's time for interaction. There's time for questions and and we say, hey, stop. But obviously with this format, we don't have time to do that. So last night in the men's restroom, as people were showering, I was asking them questions. (laughs) What comes to mind? Because... Keith did not give me a whole lot of time to prepare, okay? (laughs) So we make most with what we have. So I asked a few people, what comes to your mind when you hear the word worship? Some said standing in here, singing, meditating, praising Yahweh for what he's done, glorifying Yahweh and what we do, singing in the Bible, praising the God that you serve. And uh, that was some young people who were out late at night, but I was able to track them down. Often when we think about worship, an image like this or something similar comes to mind. Would you agree maybe? Yes? No? Okay, so I I see some nods out there. Well, I worked a couple of decades actually in the mainstream church as a worship leader, and there are a few things I learned. I'm not saying that these are right, but these are just a few things that I learned uh, leading worship in the church. So I was always taught, and my mentors taught me, that worship prepares and softens their hearts people for the pastor's message. If you will, it's time to kind of like loosen you up and so that when the message comes, you're ready to hear it. But really, in all honesty, any carefully crafted service, you know, can make the strongest of men shed a tear. But we have to ask ourselves, is it sincere? Is it real? When I'm sorry, I have no idea how that got up there. It's just, you know, one of those things. So (laughs) going back, Uh, To what I was saying, (laughs) one of the things I learned is that worship is meant to soften and prepare your heart. But the other thing I learned, and this was really ingrained in me, is that during the offering, you must have spectacular special music or soloists. And, And in all reality, in my couple of decades, there was this pressure, like, the better the special music, the more the offering will be, okay? So we want to make that good. The other thing that I learned was that worship is usually equated with music. And this contradiction in my mind began where I wasn't really seeing any of this in the scriptures. For example, if we turn to the Gospel of Matthew in Matthew 5, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, there was no corporate singing before Yeshua started to say, blessed are they. Paul, when he, in Acts 17, when he spoke in Greece, he says, men of Athens, I declare to you this unknown Elohim. But they didn't say that after singing or after a time of music, they went straight to the words. So I started to experience this sort of contradiction in my heart and in my mind. And even in our offerings, it says, when you give, give in secret, not while the soloist is singing. And so I started to examine worship in the scriptures. And that's what I want to share with you briefly this morning. Just some of the insights that I glean from the scriptures. One of the very first examples of the word worship we find in Genesis chapter 22. So I'm going to read part of this passage to you. 
Yahweh said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which Elohim had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. And I must tell you, as a parent and anyone here, I don't think we would call that worship. That we're going to take and sacrifice our, our, our firstborn, our, our son. And yet Abraham says, we will go. And I started to see that worship is really a sacrifice. And even thousands of years later, when Paul writes to the Roman church in the book of Romans, he says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of Elohim, that you present your bodies, what? Say it. A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to Elohim, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of Elohim. So as I started to examine this and doing word studies, and those of you who have attended our fellowship know we like to delve in and know what the words are. The word worship in Hebrew is shaka. Would you say that with me? Shaka. And what it really means is to, to bow down, to, to, to prostrate oneself. And we see this translated in English with different words that you'll see on the screen right there. It's sometimes translated as worship. Sometimes that same word is translated as bow down or prostrating. So we see that in Greek, the word is proskuneo. So try saying that one, proskuneo. This is where we get our English word prostrate, to prostrate, the verb, <laughs> not the noun. And um, it means to, some of you, oh, the ones over 50 know what I mean. So in English, uh, this means to bow down. It's translated again as worshiping. But as we examine the scriptures, we really need to see that both shaka and persikanu in the Bible don't always mean worship in the way that we think of it today. So we think about singing and praise to Elohim. Well, shaka and both persikanu are used to show just a position of one's body. For example, in the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 15, this is when the Roman soldiers are getting ready to impale our Messiah. And this is what the New King James says. And they clothed him with purple, and they twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head and began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. Then they struck him on the head with a reed and spat on him. And bowing the knee, they worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off him, put, on his, put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. Would we call this worship? Probably not, right? If you're spitting on our Messiah and striking him, but it says they worshiped him. And I, I imagine in my mind, in their mockery, they're doing something like this. You know, you've probably seen that in a movie or something where it's just like, oh. And so that very act, this is just described in English, it's tr translated sometimes as worship or bow down. And it's not really the worship that we think about, like those men I surveyed last night. We also see this in Genesis. Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land. That word bow, shakah, it's more showing reverence. 
We also see this. We know the story of Joseph, right? Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. And uh, Yahweh found favor in him, raised him up into a power position. He was at Pharaoh's right hand. And uh, so his brothers go to beseech him. And it says, now Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. And I would say this is kind of similar to what we see today still in Asian cultures. In our culture today, especially in the United States, we are far removed from this. And sadly, I would say in part of our generation, we've lost that element of respect. Now, I will say, because there's about 15 or so more of us from California, y'all are very respectful, and we love that. (laughs) Uh, But even with our our young people today, we see the firm handshake might be gone, and now it might be a high five, and then it's, now it's the elbow, you know, (laughs) depending on where you're at. And, And yet, so when we see the words worship, bow down, sometimes it's more of a greeting, of respect, like we see that in Asian cultures. But I just want to read a few scriptures with the time that we have to see this kind of pattern when these words are used in reference to Yahweh. So in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 3, we have, when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of Yahweh on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised Yahweh saying, for he is good, his mercy endures forever. So you kind of see two actions here. They bowed their faces and they worshiped. In Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 6, we see, And Ezra blessed Yahweh, the great Elohim. Then all the people answered, Amen and Amen. While lifting up their hands, they bowed their heads and what? Worshiped Yahweh with their faces to the ground. I'm kind of reminded of Isaiah a little bit in Isaiah chapter 6, where the messengers say, Who can I send? And Isaiah says, I am a man of unclean lips. And he bows in in humility because he realizes a sin that is in his life when juxtaposed with a a holy Elohim. We also see a picture of this on the battle of Mount Carmel. I'm going to read this from my uh, Bible, the New King James, in chapter 18 of 1 Kings. I'm going to start, actually, I'm going to adjust my glasses here. Uh, Verse 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Yahweh, Elohim of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are Elohim in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Yahweh, hear me, that this people may know that you are Yahweh Elohim, and you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of Yahweh fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, Yahweh, he is Elohim. Yahweh, he is Elohim. Amen. So we see that we agree that he is Elohim, but it was an act of humility. So would you say this with me? Yahweh, he is Elohim. Yahweh, he is Elohim. And so it's just declaring who he is. And when we declare who he is and we see ourselves in the state that we're in, it's just like, you know, we almost want to hide in humility. But what I want to do as I was discussing this with one of the elders is just a little bit compare worship with praise. When we see praise in scriptures, we often see clapping and dancing, lifting out, the stretching out of hands, the lifting of one's head, 
even kneeling, standing, hearing, and bringing an offering, bringing a sacrifice. We see applause. We see that. So there's action. But we also see this described and distinguished in some few scriptures as I wrap up. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, Jehoshaphat, when the, uh, he was, uh, there was a war with the uh, Ammonites and I think with the Moabites, says Jehoshaphat, uh, Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all of Judah of the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before Yahweh, worshiping Yahweh. Then the Levites of the children of the Korahites and the children of the Korahites stood up to praise Yahweh, the Elohim of Israel, with voices loud and high. So here you see people bowing down in worship. And then on the other side, there are people standing up with loud voices. Verse 20. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Texas. Uh, sorry, Tekoa. Oh, there it goes. Okay. <laughs> and as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in Yahweh, the Elohim, and you shall be established. Believe his pro- prophets, and you shall prosper. And when they, he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to Yahweh, so you have Keith and Jordan and others, and those who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, praise Yahweh, for his mercy endures forever. They were in front of the army. Praise goes before. Now, when they began to sing and praise, Yahweh set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah. And they were what? Defeated. As we were singing today, I am confident that Yahweh was sitting ambushes against the enemies of what you are facing. And with that praise to have victory. And remember, and so my, my point is to distinguish a little bit about what we call worship and then what we call praise. We see this again in Second Chronicles 29. And he, oh, this is when um, Hezekiah was dedicating the, the temple. It says, and he stationed the Levites in the house of Yahweh with cymbals, with stringed instruments, and with harps, according to the commandment of David, of Gad, the king's seer, and of Nathan the prophet. For thus was the commandment of Yahweh by the prophets. The Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priests with the trumpets. Then Hezekiah commanded them to offer the burnt offering on the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song of Yahweh also began. I would love to know what that song was. With the trumpets and with the instruments of, uh, of David, king of Israel. Look what I have underlined. So all the assembly worshipped. Remember worship? Shaka means to bow down, to humble. The singers sang and the trumpeters sounded. And this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And when they had finished offering, the king and all who were present with them bowed and worshipped. So this pattern is we see bowing and worship together. Moreover, King Hezekiah and the leaders commanded the Levites to sing praise to Yahweh with the words of David and of Asaph, the seer. So they sang praises with gladness and they bowed their heads and worshiped. So my, my, my point and my encouragement is that when you hear the word worship, I don't want you to think of music. Don't necessarily think of a team of musicians, but rather think of sacrifice. Think of bowing down. Encourage this in your home, that actual physical act of worship and to distinguish between what we call worship and praise. There's been a lot of change and a lot of movement in history with the church. 
And someone came up with this, and I think it speaks to you for itself, the evolution of worship. It, it, it's really evolved. And as those of us who seek the word, we want to get back to what it says. And I think this is so very important, so very vital to today in the life that we're living. About 10 years ago, the Vatican says, no Yahweh in songs, prayers at Catholic masses. The Universal Church, if you did not know, I believe this was in 2008, said, can't say it. We're not going to sing it. It won't be in any of our prayers. But I'm going to tell you, we're going to be like Daniel and his friends. When Nebuchadnezzar says, you're going to bow, we're going to say, we will not bow. We will declare his name. We will say it, sing it, and worship. It is so very crucial that we will not bow. In California, or Sodom, where I am from, and many others, our governor, and I will read this, Governor Gavin Newsom issued the ban earlier this month in an attempt to curb the spread of the coronavirus, with state health officials noting that singing and chanting present an increased likelihood for transmission of COVID-19 through contaminated exhaled droplets. It is illegal to sing corporately in California. But like Daniel and his friends, we will say, we will not bow. We will not adhere. So we will continue to worship. And I am so excited that this week, we are here to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. That word, shakah, we first see it in Genesis, but in what we call the Old Testament, the last time we see that word shakah is in Zechariah chapter 14, which actually describes the Feast of Tabernacles. So we'll read this as I close. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year. For what purpose? To worship the King, Yahweh of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem. For what purpose? To worship the King, Yahweh of hosts, on them there will be no rain. If the family of Egypt, which does not come up and enter in, they shall have no rain. They shall receive the plague with which the Yahweh strikes the nations who do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. As we have gathered here this week, I encourage you, especially Ben, as this is one of the feasts that says three times a year you shall present yourselves, that we present ourselves not necessarily in praise, because we will praise, we will rejoice, we will have fun, we are going to celebrate, we will fellowship, but to take a moment to truly worship, to bow before our Creator, our great Elohim. And I want to leave you and close with this verse. May all kings fall down before Him, all nations serve Him. Blessed be the name of Yahweh.